For the next 30 minutes, all emergency broadcast systems are going to be offline. The only thing you will be able to hear is this podcast. Yes. Oh, the <laughs> terror. Listeners, welcome back to Last Film Standing, episode number 120, the conversation, a movie review, and news podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Jones, and joining me, as always, trying to find a job, trying to build a house out in the woods, trying to win the affection or not win the affection, and getting his aggression out just one night a year. The man known only as Z. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back here discussing the wonderful world of movies. And we are coming to you <laughs> recorded live June 18th, 2013 from Brooklyn, New York. On today's Brooklyn show, we will be talking about, it is like halfway through 2013 already. I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> On today's show, we will be talking about recent releases, the internship, the kings of summer, much ado about nothing, and the purge. And so, listeners, without further ado, let's, let's go, go to, to the movies. movies. I defy you to crush this course and not get psyched out of your mind. I'm gonna some bags. We got $20 the Chrono Shock 13. They didn't tell you that, man. Your company is closed. You closed the company? Everything's computerized now. People have a deep mistrust of machines. Have you seen Terminator? Yep. Or two? Mm-hmm. Or three? Or four? So first up, we have The Internship, pulled in about 17.3 million in its opening weekend. Um, and it is about two salesmen whose careers have been torpedoed by the digital age, and they find their way into a coveted internship at Google, where they must compete with a group of young, tech-savvy geniuses for a shot at employment. It is directed by Sean Levy, who is responsible for Real Steel, Night at the Museum, Date Night, as well as Night at the Museum 2, Battle of the Smithsonian. Stars Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson, Rose Byrne, and Isif Mandavi. It is written by Vince Vaughn, who uh, actually has writing credit on Couples Retreat and The Breakup, um, as well as Jared Stern, who has writing credits on Wreck-It Ralph, Bolt, The Princess and the Frog, as well as The Watch. And the story itself is by Vince Vaughn. So, listeners, uh, Z and I were talking before we kicked off the podcast what? here. We never do that. Never. And I basically expressed how... I could not have wanted to avoid this movie uh, anymore. It basically felt like it was a, you know, on the surface, a straight-to-DVD movie that happened to make it into theaters because of Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. Historically, they're an awesome team. Uh, I told Z how I came across an article that basically said this was a great idea uh, if this would have come out in 2007. It's 2013. (laughs) Uh, Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn, together again, um... They have a lot of history together. Does this movie, you know, would this have been worth actually catching in theaters? Um, catching in theaters, I, you know, I'm not so sure about. Um, I will say that, uh, as you, I had my reservations. And um, we've discussed kind of our displeasure with the state of comedies. Um, there, there's been kind of two big, like, groups of people who are doing comedies now it seems and you have sort of the the Judd Apatow crowd um that we will discuss on uh, on another podcast with uh, <laughs> this is the end but you also have this kind of Vince Vaughn uh crowd <laughs> that sure. kind of does uh their own style and and there's certain similarities and certain differences but um overall um I I was kind of dreading going to see this film, but I ended up kind of forcing myself and, uh, you know, so I I went and saw it. And you know what? I was uh, pleasantly surprised. (laughs) Now, I wouldn't say this is like, this is a great film uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I would say that it's, it's, sweet and um it's fun and it has some uh genuinely funny moments um i i'd have to say that um 
Owen Wilson in the beginning feels a little awkward and some of his lines are very kind of generic and expected and all of that. But they kind of have a nice sort of back and forth. And, and there's a certain level of we're goofing around. There's this kind of goofy persona to me. And then there are moments where like that goofy persona just kind of drops and you see the person behind it. And and I enjoyed that, um, especially with with Vince Vaughn's character. He's like this kind of loud mouth. He's, you know, like the guy who's like says the weird things and all this stuff. But then there are moments where you kind of glimpse at this person behind and um it genuinely like kind of gives you a sense of uh well you know here's this character dealing with these issues with losing his job dealing with being older and um you know not knowing what what to do in this world new world that he's just ill prepared to uh go into so those kind of parts are are kind of were nice to see um that these characters had moments of genuine um uh, emotional kind of depth um, and then there was you know some funny parts some not so funny parts you know it, it really depends on whether you appreciate the sense of humor uh, that Vince Vaughn brings with him um, but to be honest there was like um, I think one of the my favorite parts um, was with Owen Wilson um, who does this really wonderful uh, job of portraying an everyday guy and um there's a point where him and rose Byrne, uh's character they they go on a date and um he kind of convinced her to go on a date with him as a way of getting because she's sort of a high-powered person who doesn't really have time for that kind of stuff so he's like you know what going out on one date with me will be like 10 years of bad dates and you know you'll have it out of your system you know you won't have to worry about it for a while it's kind of like you know jokingly so she d agrees to go on a date with him and as they're in the middle of the date, she's like you know you lied to me you said it was going to be a bad date but so far it's been kind of pleasant and so he's like, oh, you know what? You're right. You know, I shouldn't have misled you. Let me uh, make up for it. And so he starts going on this like thing where he like does all these things that you would that like you would hear from like horrific dates that your friends have told you about, uh, you know. And it's like, you know, he hit, starts hitting on the waitress um, and, like, gets her number and just, like, you know, does all these, like, comments, like, you know, uh, oh, don't finish the, I'll finish the dessert, you know, kind of thing. And he does it in a really sort of normal way where it really seems genuine, like, like somebody has that sense of humor and is doing it. It did not seem like scripted it probably was but he just managed to pull it off and their kind of um interaction there just really sold that and was really a genuinely funny moment or like funny sequence where i just really enjoyed myself and you know the, some of those are kind of peppered throughout but then others kind of jump to cheesy moments in the end it was actually a much more enjoyable film than i would have expected it to be so um you know just on that merit i kind of tend to uh rating wise maybe give it uh, three and a half <laughs> maybe 325 you know just just yeah. maybe just a hint over three starts um just as a it was a better movie than i expected it to be gotcha so very interesting yeah not necessarily something you have to see in the movie theaters and the uh yeah i mean the really the only question i have about it is does the owen wilson um vince vaughn chemistry that we have kind of gotten to know over the course of you know several movies does that still kind of hold true here or kind of like as you were saying like um with with owen wilson kind of starting off a little bit awkward was it just something that maybe they kind of had to work off the the on-screen chemistry rust or was it just um i don't think it was their uh on-screen chemistry i think it was just more of how his character was written Gotcha. Um, so I think that's where it came off a little awkward. I think there was just some lines that were so like 
obvious and kind of like they're funny in a way if you kind of accept that it's sort of like okay of course he was gonna say that and it's kind of funny a little bit that way but um but yeah i you know it was just kind of okay you kind of had to get used to him a little bit for 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 a moment and then once you do he he kind of i think develops as a character too throughout the flow of the film so yeah so overall three stars easily (laughs) you know average but maybe a hint over just because of low expectations yeah this was actually good this was actually not bad yeah (laughs) (laughs) and good at times your finals due a week ago i mean look at the board school's over we're playing hangman here tools out of the driveway now No. Who's this, Patrick? Kelly. Kelly, a girl. That's a pleasant surprise. Joe. We'll call you back sometime before his hot new bedtime of 7.30. So the next film uh, we're going to be discussing is uh, a little independent film with a limited release called The Kings of Summer. It made about 55000 and uh, it's a story of three teenage friends uh, who, in the ultimate act of independence, decide to spend their summer building a house in the woods and living off the land away from their parents. Uh, It was directed by Jordan Vogt-Roberts. This is his first feature, and it's starring Nick Robinson, Gabriel Basso, uh, Moises Arias and Nick Offerman, who you might know from um, Parks and Recreation. <laughs> and it, it was written by Chris uh, Galetta, who uh, this is also his first feature. So, Brandon, uh, you ended up seeing this film. And um, how did you feel about it? What did you think um, of uh, did this actually kind of work out? It seems like a sort of. Um, feel-good story about three kids kind of, uh, you know, having fun and, and living that sort of summer dream of being away from your parents and just kind of doing as you please. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of the movies that are hitting now, um, I'm presuming the TV marketing is relatively the same um, everywhere and some of the in theater marketing um but a lot of these movies are basically in a coming out in a world post sundance and so it's kind of like oh sundance official selection south by southwest da, 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 da. um i don't remember specifically what this movie um was sort of tagged with um outside of just that it has an association with sundance but it's actually a really cool coming of age story and one of the things that tends to happen with teen movies are you know it basically boils down to this is a teen movie where the kids are either too dramatic or kind of stupid or naive kind of thing or you end up with a movie where you have people who are more like intelligent sort of people but they just don't have the experience to kind of see beyond the situation that they're in i mean i have to say uh, there's also been a trend in especially sort of the indie film to have a kid that just seems sort of like the wise character of the story um, as opposed to sort of just being a kid where like the kid somehow is that kind of quiet, wise center of the, you know. Yeah, there's like the, the uh, I think it's the Richard Ayode movie that we saw, uh, the one where he um, wrote and directed it or directed it or something like that. Uh, Submarine? I want to say it's Submarine. Whenever I think that, I always think there's another Submarine. Yeah. But I, I never ended up seeing that. I know you reviewed it. I think that it's either that one or this other one. Uh, I think that they might be the same movie, but there was one where there was a, um, a kid who... Uh, basically, there's just a scene in the movie where I'm thinking of where he's just he's basically narrating the story a lot, and then he has that like moment where he's like, something happens to him with this girl, and he goes, well, if I ever amount to anything in my life, then this this like this particular scene in the movie will have a giant crane shot as it like pans out and you know does sweeping music and all this stuff but he's like if i don't amount to anything it'll just be a slow zoom out and as this is happening there's just a slow Slow zoom zoom out out. yeah Yeah. it's actually a really really clever movie um 
I think it, I think it, if, I think it is submarine, but if not, I'll try to look that up and post that. But, um, with the Kings of Summer though, it's, it's cool because it has, as I said, like these characters sort of come off as intelligent. Um, there's the one guy who has, you know, it's basically these two best friends and then there's the one sort of quote unquote weird kid that's just sort of attached to them somehow. And it's not really explained why he's around. Everyone basically knows who he is. It's just sort of the weird kid where, you know, as they joke in the trailer, um, when they ask, uh, one of them says like, you know, why is that kid with us? And he's just like, you know, like he's cool. And I don't know what he'll do if we ask him to leave. Um, yeah, I remember, um, seeing that on the trailer and thinking that was pretty funny. Yeah. And that kid, that character is pretty funny. There's like a scene, um, sort of towards the end where he's that, that kid's like talking to his father just about friendships and all this stuff. And it's kind of like a really sort of intense type of thing. Um, but you know, it's, it's a cool story because you have these characters who, they all have this sort of um, father dynamic where there's the main character who his father played by Nick Offerman. Um, I believe their mother, I don't remember now, I think either left or died. I think she actually died. And so uh, he's starting to try to date again and kind of into like kind of rebooting or restarting. You mean the father is the father trying, is trying to, to date, date again? again? Yeah. And trying to basically kind of force this relationship onto. Um, his son and so he's not really dealing with it well and then that um, his son's best friend has the uh, parents who are also sort of those um, I can't remember what their names are but uh, the comedian-esque people that you kind of have seen around um, the the basically the parents from the trailers where they're, they're just very overprotective and very like super nice kind of thing and yeah, they seem to be surrounded by a pretty strong cast of uh, characters. It was also a strong cast of like comedians, which was like funny too. Yeah, I, I remember reading somewhere uh, where they were discussing about improving and how they kind of had to give the kids a little bit more of a crash course in improving because they were surrounded by all these like people who were really good at it. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and there's a because there's even just like Hannibal Burris who I've uh, discovered recently on Pandora and just sort of his sense of humor. It's it's basically sort of a Seinfeld but with a little bit of uh, flavor, I guess you can say to it. Um, and he's in the movie sort of randomly as a bus driver and kind of says like two or three lines that like you know as you were saying are probably improv and it is really funny just because so out of the blue. Um, but you know, and then this movie just really sort of on the on the father thing uh, carries this very cool at a young age. I feel like you you have a lot of movies where you have these guys who are trying to avoid being their father, and you kind of see how they're sort of playing into becoming their father. And in this movie, the main character, um, you know, his father is Nick Offerman, and he just kind of can't stand him. He hates him, this kind of thing. And over the course of the movie, you see him slowly sort of becoming just like him and it's not so much that nick offerman's you know character is a bad character it's just like he's having to make these decisions that his son doesn't agree with and so his son kind of in an effort to run as far away as he can from that is sort of slowly also becoming exactly like that um and it's just really cool to kind of watch that unfold in a movie um with this sort of young central cast yeah um seems interesting i mean um yeah, I mean it's it's definitely and we've we've watched a lot of indie movies this year. Um, I feel like more so than we have in the last few years, and I don't know why that is. Um, I think for, especially for your side, you have yeah. had a, a chance because of your uh, access to the um, to the one of our more independent movie theaters. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of uh, a little more constricted as far as like um, you know the theaters that I have access to, so. Yeah, and this movie definitely, um, it's just a really solid movie. Um, as we've, as Z and I have talked about in the past, normally when a movie is just kind of good, there's not a whole lot that you can really say about it. Um, but yeah, I would actually give this movie uh, basically like a four out of five stars um, and would put sort of the caveat on it that I, I wouldn't say it's probably worth running out to watch in a theater nor do i think it'll probably make it into a wide release i don't think it's really making that much money but it's definitely one of those movies that if you stumble across on netflix definitely take the couple of hours to to watch it and you'll Hmm. kind of laugh and be moved a little bit and it's just like an overall cool movie well that's that's nice to hear um yeah it's always nice to hear that some of these independent films are succeeding and uh doing better than uh one anticipated yeah 
Upstream Color is already a Netflix. I don't know if you noticed that already. Oh, no, I didn't. I, I might yeah. have to check it out because I recently watched Primer. Um, that was a mind fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, actually a film that I saw uh, recently that we um, missed when it was originally out was um, Will Ferrell's uh, Everything Must Go. Oh, yeah. And that's an interesting film. I would definitely recommend that to anyone who who likes uh, independent movies. Uh, this is not your standard Will Ferrell fare. I mean, it's he really plays a, a straight character in this one, and it's really nice to see him because he does such a good job. And it's it always amazes me, all these comedians. Well, it doesn't really amaze me because anyone who's sort of done comedy in any way, shape, or form, and I have a little bit, I, I just am aware how hard it is to do comedy and um i know that i you know i can't really do it unless it's written very well um you know for someone like will ferrell who does a lot of improv and stuff like that it's pretty amazing so to see him play this really kind of genuine character who's dealing with you know alcoholism and like all of this stuff um it was really cool so very cool yeah very cool i don't think i've seen any of the movies where he's played sort of a quote-unquote humorless character because i he, what was the I one that he did before this because he's done like three or four by now has I think, he right? i mean i know this one a lot of the other ones he still kind of has a little bit of his own um i think there was one uh woody allen movie that he did yeah. Um, but there's not a lot of them that he's done. Because I want to say there was like one out. where he played, um, not the like obviously Nicolas Cage weatherman thing, but I feel like he played something that was like weather related maybe or something like that. I can't think of. Let's look that up. No, uh, yeah. Well, Mies, I hope to see you one day fitted with a husband. <laughs> Not till God make men of some other metal than earth. I want you to get together. It is certain I am loved of all ladies. For truly, I, I love none. Dear happiness to women. So our next film um, from the director of the highest grossing, well, the third highest grossing film of all time, comes Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, pulled in $171,000 during its limited release opening weekend. I believe it opened on five screens. It is now expanded to about 20-something. Um, and it is a modern retelling of Shakespeare's classic comedy about two pairs of lovers with different takes on romance and away with words. It is directed by Joss Whedon, who's responsible for The Avengers and Serenity, which is amusing because those are actually his only two feature film credits, and The Avengers probably made a hundred times more than Serenity made. Stars Alexis Denisoff, Amy Acker, Fran Krantz, and Jillian Morgesey, as well as a handful of others. Uh, if you follow Joss Whedon, you will recognize. Screenplay by Joss Whedon, who writing credits include The Cabin in the Woods, Titan A.E., and Toy Story. And of course, this is based on William Shakespeare's play of the same name. Uh, so, I mean, with this movie, um, and Joss Whedon, basically, in general, there, there, well, there have been a lot of Shakespeare adaptations, either things that have been really, really kind of, you know, quote-unquote faithful adaptations, um, to stylized ones like Romeo and Juliet, to ones where they kind of basically, I think they use the language, but paint over it with modern things. Uh, my favorite, personally, being O, um, uh, which is basically for Othello, which I don't even know Shakespeare wrote, but... Othello? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but that was really cool. It's like one of Josh Hartnett kind of thing. Um, how does this, you know, because it's a modern retelling, how does this sort of stack up with those, you know, the Kenneth Branagh adaptations, that kind of thing? Is this kind of middle of the road, upper tier, lower tier? Well, this is a, this is a completely different animal than any of those previous ones. Um, for simple reason that um, it was... Uh, seemingly more or less done by a group of friends uh, in 12 days in one location at Joss Whedon's house. And basically, you know, they went through this and just did this movie. Um, I was actually just reading some of this stuff in um, 
in uh, backstage about like the making process. They were talking to a handful of the cast members and it was really funny to sort of see, read this back and forth that they even have in this like just simple interview, you know, like one of the characters was like, yeah, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, they were asking me for my, uh, you know, like the people who were, you know, who Joss Whedon hired to, you know, set all this up, you know, like uh, they were like asking me for my, um, social security number and i was like oh we're getting paid for this and then like alex denisov just jumps in and is like well you know like the check didn't really even cover like my my babysitter for the time but you know it was like it was just so much fun to do and then like um the guy who plays uh agent uh colson agent right. colson yeah. uh greg uh ah, anyways his <laughs> last name is, escapes me but he was like he like you know you can just kind of imagine him just like looking over at them and go you guys got paid for this and <laughs> it was it's just funny to sort of see this like back and forth these are clearly like people that you know occasionally hang out together and have a good time and that just like Joss Whedon is this center of this collaborative process and i mean you know you'll recognize all these faces you know everyone from Nathan Fillion to Amy Acker to you know like all these people and um so it's it it's an interesting way to see like they they really do the language very well um if you can sort of get past the fact that it's like really low budget production um they just do it you know straight black and white and it's just you know them um basically kind of guiding through this kind of house and um you know using the original language and everything it, it just it, it's an interesting thing because you kind of have to let go that they're really doing this kind of um without true costumes and stuff so um it the they said it in modern times but you know clearly the language kind of pulls you back to a certain period and like all this stuff but overall this the story is compelling and you know if if you know the story of much ado about nothing it's it's an interesting and um you know funny at times and compelling story it takes a bit to sort of get to the language if you're not familiar with it um, but because of the strength of the actors that are involved in the process, I, I feel like they pull it off. And I'm not, I never read Much Ado About Nothing. I know sort of the general lines or knew sort of the general lines of the story. Um, so for me, it was, all, it was really like seeing it for the first time. And uh, I really enjoyed myself. I, you know, I got used to the language at some point, And then you sort of really kind of get into the characters and are watching this kind of like back and forth play uh, play out. And, you know, there were times where I was like wondering, hmm, you could totally make a story out of this for current uh, time. But, you know, um, anyway, so um, overall, you know, I enjoyed it. I don't, didn't think it's, I don't think it's something like, crazy amazing but for how they did it and the way they and and i guess the end goal is is achieved you know they kind of um joss whedon manages to you know bring some shakespeare to modern cinema which is kind of fun and and it's it's nice because the stories still hold up the the, the general sort of human stories behind everything still hold up and that kind of um lover lovers quarrel back and forth that you know the two characters played by um amy acker and uh alex denisov um or alexis denisov, yeah, alexis denisov yeah. um have is really nice to sort of watch them kind of bicker a little bit until they sort of are pushed together you know uh and realize that they're actually in love with each other and so it's kind of interesting um i i personally enjoyed it um, I think it's really for for someone um, who who has some interest in Shakespeare and maybe seeing a performance that uses the original language and everything, which is really nice to see. Um, 
I, I'd have to give it, you know, maybe like three and a half stars. It's it's really hard film to rate in in the same way that we rate others because I feel like it's just a completely different beast from your everyday movie. Um, so I, I would say if you have any interest in Shakespeare um, and watching it sort of acted out, it, definitely check it out. Um, it's nice to support the independent versions of films, even though they're done from a director who, you know, <laughs> has the third highest grossing film of all times. But um, I also like the fact that he does this kind of stuff, you know, that he just called up a bunch of people and said, you know what, you know, when when one of the guys asked him, you know, so where are you going to hide out for a while, you know, while the Avengers kind of blows over and before you start working on something else, he's like, no, I'm going to make this movie, you know, and it's like, we're going to make this independent film that's going to cost very little, that's just going to be shot in my house and just, you know, have some fun with it and that's really cool but that that's what's really cool about it it's interesting to me um with joss whedon in particular uh having been a fan of buffy and angel back in the day how it, it, it's you know you see movies nowadays and you have filmmakers who um obviously really work in tandem with certain actors you know like johnny depp and burton and um you know, Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio at this point and just like other kind of like pairings. And it's interesting to me that like, whereas those filmmakers and actors can work independently of each other, they come together, they work independently of the other. Like for some reason, and I don't, I, I can't quite tell with, with, with Joss Whedon have only having really done um, the Avengers outside of his normal stable of sort of characters. If it's, that Joss Whedon has the ability to bring out something in these particular actors that no one else sees or can do, or if there's something about these actors that just doesn't click in other things. Like Alexis Denisoff in particular. There's actually a comment on one of the actors was, was, um, was in that same interview answering exactly that question. And he was saying that um, it's not necessarily that, um, that, he sees you in something that you're not right for, but he sees how you and that character can intersect at a certain moment. And like um, basically that melding between what you bring to the table and what that character and how that character was written and, and kind of like can create something completely new. And he was saying that Joss Whedon has the ability to see that. Uh, and that's like an interesting concept to say, like, okay, you may not be textbook for this character, but yeah. I see something in you that could connect with certain aspects of this character. And then you could like maybe take it to a different level or to a different uh, place that you wouldn't have normally expected. Yeah, because with uh, Alexis Denisoff in particular, um, him and even Amy Acker, like, were both people that I just would have assumed post Buffy and Angel would have just been around. And they kind of were on TV a little bit and they pop up in things every now and then, but nothing to the extent of which I was sort of expecting of them. And Alexis Denisoff, like, even to the, to the point that you just said, like, has probably the most ridiculous character arc that, like, has ever been on TV, period. Like, when you watch who he is when he first gets introduced in Buffy and who he becomes by the time Angel ends. It's just so night and day that it's one of those things where I'm just like really curious to know like why, you know, other people haven't kind of like seen that kind of in him and kind of thought to like, oh, well, maybe if you're not sort of the, you know, marquee title character, um, almost like, for instance, uh, Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights, um, He's starting to be one of those people. I just watched the documentary, uh, that guy from that thing one time, um, which actually has a nice <laughs> yeah. like group of people where you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I really don't know that guy. It is name, that but, guy from that thing. Yeah. Um, but Kyle Chandler is one of those people where like he's showing up a lot and a lot, and he's rounding out these nice ensemble cast, and I feel like Alexis Denisoff you know, should be one of those people, but for some reason no filmmaker, uh, or just they, maybe they just aren't completely unaware that he exists because of, you know, what that filmmaker kind of consumes in his own kind of time and that kind of thing. But it's just interesting to me that Joss Whedon is so associated with like, like 
dozen, maybe like two dozen actors, and you really only see them at their best when they're with him. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I, I just don't think that they've been given enough chance. And Nathan Fillion has has done some great work outside of Joss Whedon, especially yeah. like he he's had his show Castle, which I've seen a couple of episodes, and it, you know he has a certain character, and it's really funny, and it works very well. So uh, I don't think it's necessarily that. It's just, I don't know, yeah. But um, as you were saying, you know, a lot of the directors have like one or two actors that they're associated with, like Tim Burton with, um, you know, his wife and um, yeah. and uh, Johnny Depp. You know, they always work together and stuff like that. But then you have Joss Whedon who's built like this whole army of actors around him and um, he can just pull them in at any point in time. And you know that because of the relationships he has cultivated with them, that they'll be happy to work with him anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Ain't you? Ain't you? But yeah, so um, overall, uh, check it out. people a release for all the hatred and violence that they keep up inside them no. but um now we get to the next film which is the purge for the next 12 hours <laughs> um the purge took in 36.3 million dollars and it's a story about um family who is held hostage for harboring the target target of a murderous syndicate during the purge a 12-hour period in which um all crime is legalized it was directed by james demonico uh who worked on the negotiator assault on precinct 13 and jack and it's starring ethan hawk lena hetty um, Max Burkholder and Adelaide Kane. Adelaide Kane, uh, and it was written by James DeMonaco, uh, same person that directed, uh, who uh, also wrote the aforementioned, and also, in addition, Little New York and Skinwalkers. So this film, um, I know you were excited about the premise. Uh, I've heard a lot of buzz about this film um, before it came out. There was a lot of people that I talked to there that this that mentioned this film and were like, "Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this. It's such a good idea. It's like a great premise. Like blah blah blah." And I was one of the few detractors of this premise, where I claimed that this premise did not make any sense to me at all. <laughs> Because I just, you know, I, I don't believe that crime is done, you know, that way. I, I, I feel like a lot of crime is crime of passion and that momentary rage. But, um, you know, putting that aside, um, you know, I think it was also meant as a, um, as kind of a statement piece um, as far as like, you know, the rich kind of even through something like this, the rich can prosper even more because they're protected. They have the money to protect themselves. It's the poor who really end up just kind of killing each other because they can never get to the people who have the money. Yeah. Um, so putting that all that aside, um, you know, or, or discussing maybe those specific topics, how did you feel that this, uh, this film addressed those issues? Like did the, um, this premise really shine? Did you feel like it kind of supported your excitement about it? And did it actually succeed in covering these, um, this idea of like rich versus poor? Um, the way that, you know, even movies like Batman failed, I think, um, to really truly address that. Yeah, I mean, the movie itself, you know, the premise and everything uh, is extremely thought provoking. Um, Kind of, you know, to, to Z's point, if you can get beyond the leap of, um, you know, one of the things whenever we watch sci-fi movies in particular, 
uh, where it's based on like an alternate sort of future. If you can sort of in those in that genre make the leap between okay, how do we get from now to there, and just kind of accept that we got there somehow. That's kind of where you just you know kind of keep moving with this it was sort of the same thing because it's like all right this is a world where it's presumably taking place it's never explicitly stated but probably like 2015 16 17 so you would have to imagine what event would have happened to like would have happened to have had taken place that this is this was the solution kind of thing um but when you do get beyond that and you really start thinking about like okay what if you really only have this one night of year like they kind of show people who where go, you don't hear sirens. Yeah, where it's like literally, there's like no sirens. There's no people podcasting in thin cars driving by. There's no <laughs> gunshots at night. There's no all this stuff. It literally is the one night a year. And so, with this one night a year, you get this situation where okay, like I really don't like my boss. I really don't like an ex. I really don't like this person. And you one night a year, like there are people who there would basically be a lot of dead bosses if you could get yeah, at them. Yeah, and it's like you have this situation me? where it's like you can basically like one night of you. This is entirely legal, and to the point that I really liked in the movie they basically did kind of say, all right, this isn't absolute chaos. You can only use these types of weapons. You can only use, uh, like, there are certain people who are immune to this kind of thing. Um, and it was just, it was really interesting, kind of just the psychology. It's one of those things where I would really, really love to read a novelization of this, even just to kind of get a lot more characters in your monologues and just, like, talking just about the, the history. world, yeah. just that, that kind of, like even just like international thing because it it, it it the movie sets itself up as this is an american thing versus this is like a global thing um which again like all of that is just really really sort of thought-provoking throughout the movie i think there's a lot of cool sort of moral quandaries in the movie some of them a little bit more cliche than others you know the kid who is growing up in this world and he doesn't quite understand why this is allowed to happen and it's kind of you know it really plays on that aspect of well, we all believe that stealing is morally wrong, but would you steal to, to feed your starving family kind of thing? And this is a much more violent sort of uh, take on that concept. Um, so how about theft? Is uh, theft allowed in this purge world? Like, I mean, that's can you what rob I a bank if you can? Yeah, I mean, that's what, that's yeah. what I, when we were, I, I mean. Unless somebody's trying to kill you. Yeah, I mean, they, because I think they even say on the, during the uh, emergency broadcast thing, they basically hone in on violent crimes. I don't think they specifically talk about theft, so that would definitely be one of those things that, like, again, like, sort of in, like, the novelization or even that kind of thing uh, would be really interesting to see what they would do. Because you do have people, they show different aspects of people where, you know, Ethan Hawke's family, all right, let's just, we're going to be in the house for these 12 hours, we're going to, you know, board ourselves up with this awesome security system. But then you do have these other people where it's just like, okay, we're putting on vests, we're taking out our machetes, we're going in groups, we're going hunting kind of thing. Um, and I just thought the movie really explored its premise really well to that sort of uh, extent. It also just gets appropriately violent when it but needs does to. But does the... So you felt like it, it does make sense in sort of uh, that way? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that started to, like, this is one of those movies where uh, Z makes fun of the phrase that I have um, that I think was almost great, and it really boils down to one scene in particular that sort of derailed the, like, the latter, like, 10, 15 minutes of the movie for me. Um, and a lot of it just, you know, the, I thought, like, the premise was good. I thought everyone kind of, what they were doing was good. There was enough dramatic tension. Like, I was really agitated by the kid who was kind of questioning everything. And sort of, you could argue, oh, this is all kind of your fault. But there are other things that are happening that are causing, you know, um, the story basically to sort of unfold the way that it was unfolding. Um, but one of the things that sort of bothered me a little bit about this movie was that you have sort of extreme characters that are the people who are from the trailers are trying to get into this house, um, who's portrayed by this really, really creepy sort of ringleader and sort of he embraces the purge and he has a very like, uh, you know, Joker light aspect to him where it's just like, listen, this is my one night a year to do whatever I want and there are no consequences. I'm going to kill. I'm going to do all these things. Um, give us this man that you are ha like harboring in your home to do whatever. And I liked how there was a nice juxtaposition of, 
okay, so normal people, quote unquote, in this world would probably just sit in their homes and just bunker down kind of thing versus people who, you know, have issues from small to big that would then go out in these groups and do, you know, very violent things. But then what ends up happening is sort of like, you know, to not spoil things later, then there's sort of a group of people that we previously thought were sort of normal get introduced into the story. And then they also kind of treat it like it's a, for lack of a better word, like a religious or a spiritual thing versus it being like, oh, it's July 4th or, oh, it's like... So it felt like a little tacked on from from that aspect. It felt like a there was a moment where it could have had a really really poignant like holy shit ending and then they skip over that and then these characters come in and they do that whole like ceremonious you know it's it's this this aspect to it and i was just like well i get it but i feel like if the movie would have just violently ended right then and there this movie would have stuck with me for like a couple years. Like it would have been like, wow, that was actually like a really strong. Do you think maybe that uh, powers that be were a little afraid of um, having like a disturbing effect maybe? I think that's probably true. Um, I think I've talked in this podcast before um, about the movie White Noise and how that movie also to me was moving along at a pace that Every time, when the, the, way, the way that that movie should have ended, you should have walked away from it that every time your TV went to the infamous white snow on your TV, you would have thought about that movie. Like you, It would sort of haunt you to see that on your TV. And the movie kind of ruins it because it tries to sort of wrap things up in a nice bow and, oh, good guys are good and bad guys are bad and the, the rest of the day is going to be fine kind of thing. Yeah. And this is The Purge. It kind of does that a little bit where it's just like, yeah, you still get through this night. Like, The Purge is still The Purge. But the way that it sort of resolves itself is just kind of like, all right, well yeah i guess kind of thing um the one thing that i do appreciate about this is that if if this movie made enough money very much like paranormal activity and the saw movies i would actually like to see other characters yeah during years of the purge you mean you mean so uh instead of like uh those same characters are i don't know how it ends maybe they're all dead uh but uh, you would like to see just different, Completely like different jumping to yeah. like a whole different place and yeah. like, oh, this happened there and this happened there and this happened there. And who knows, maybe by the, by like the fifth movie, you realize, oh, they were all in the same year and they're connected by blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that would actually kind of be cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's an awesome idea that I hope doesn't get lost. Uh, and again, like I don't want to watch a sequel to this movie with these characters. I mean, I think that's interesting to the extent that, you if know, they survived start those. We don't know that who may or may not survive. Uh, I just don't want to watch what last year's purge impact had on them. Like I would rather see a fresh story of, okay, these are people like, this is a guy who in the weeks leading up to his, the purge, like his boss pissed him off or his wife did this or, his best friend did this or hey why don't we try to go out this year and go hunting hey i just bought a new guy like that kind of thing i would rather watch like this version that version you know and these kind of things and just be really diverse in how many times they do this because i feel like then it stays fresh it doesn't get stale like paranormal activity um or, or saw where you're kind of beholden to this singular like yeah, story the problem thread. is if, if the <clears throat> If the film made uh, enough money for them to make a sequel, they're going to want to keep the same formula because they're going to be afraid of changing anything in order to bring people again. Where actually that kind of, I feel like, detracts because, you know, every subsequent movie is going to make less money um, unless you kind of do something that's going to be talked about again. Yeah, very true. So... So what's your uh, ultimate rating on this? Uh, it's it's a sort of a a single tier 3.5. Uh, I think I would have given it a really solid 4, uh, maybe even a 4.5 because of the way that it kind of addresses everything. But I just thought that the ending sort of undermined the movie. 
Um, going into it, sort of what you were saying, uh, a lot of the buzz I was hearing was actually negative. Um, and I was sort of curious to know. Same here, actually. Like why that was. And when I went to see it, I was just like, wow, this is actually really good. This is cool. Like, da da da. And then it just kind of boiled down to, again, just like the ending just didn't really sell what the movie was leading up to. Well, interesting, interesting. So um, out of the. How many of these four have you seen? You saw uh, Kings of Summer and The Purge and uh, what else? Um, Kings of Summer and Purge, right? Yeah. Um, So out of those two, which one would you recommend as your last film standing? Standing, standing, standing. I would definitely go with The Purge, Uh, mainly because, as I said, it's going to make you think, which very few movies do, uh, and and despite the ending, you will wonder, what would you do if that person that's been nice to you all year long, all of a sudden, seems like they're not coming correct in your direction on the night of The Purge? Hmm. Shoot first, ask questions later. Um... As for myself, uh, between the internship and Much Ado About Nothing, um, I'd have to say um, it's it's such there there's such different films. Um, so I think they would appeal to such different uh, like um, you know audiences. And um, I'd have to say Much Ado About Nothing. Um, I'd have to recommend that more because I, I feel like if if it's kind of a uh, toss-up, I'll go with the more independent film. Um, and, you know, I just love the story about how this was made and everything. And I, I enjoyed sort of what seeing Shakespeare, um, you know, it's it's fun it's cool it's funny <laughs> and uh and it's nice to, nice to see these stories and why they still um you know do a good job of telling the uh stories of people so um i would have to go with that well there you go the purge and much ado about nothing see him back to back if you can coming soon to netflix amazon and video streaming services near you everywhere and so ladies and gentlemen that is episode 120 tell your friends that they can find last film standing on itunes and stitcher radio both of which allow you to subscribe to rate and to review us and then once again you can follow myself on twitter at lamar diablo it's l-a-m-a-r diablo one word you can follow zed on twitter at last z standing and of course you can contact us the new old-fashioned way at feedback at lastfilmstanding.com thanks for listening and of course tell your friends